the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. All right, friends, it's Bob France, and I am not in today, but fear not. I leave you in great hands today, the great conservative hands of a great man. And I'll tell you this, I'm very lucky to have such a deep and talented roster of great conservative talk show hosts to sit in for me when I'm not able to be with you, and today is no exception. You are going to be treated to the conservative stylings of my good friend Khalid Namar. Let's please give him a warm welcome, and Khalid, take it away. Thank you, Brother Bob, and I will never let you down, brother. I am always, always excited to be in this seat. Um, I have a blast here, my man Andrew, as he's saying in DJ World, on the wheels of steel. <laughs> I am excited to be here. Thank you for tuning into the Bob France Authority. I am Khalid Namar, and I'm here to fill your ears with... Uh, with a lot today, uh, got a, got a, you know, some interesting people coming, coming on with me. I'll have a very impressive young man. He'll be here in the studio with me. His name is Aaron Corpora. He's a uh, Northeast Ohio director of FAIR, the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. And we'll be talking about some heavy stuff, including a lot of this critical race theory stuff. He'll be here in the studio with me and he'll be hanging out, um, with me, uh, for the rest of the shows. You know, I've, I've drafted him as my co-host today. So he'll be hanging out. I have done my Mike DeWine impression and put him on lockdown. So he's not leaving, uh, to the end of the show. So, <laughs> so Aaron Corpora will be joining me today. Also, we'll have my good friend calling in next hour. Steve Kraus, uh, former candidate for state house will be calling in to give us some, uh, some updates on what's going on in the state of Ohio and local politics. So, uh, I'll have Kraus in the house later on, uh, next hour. So, um, I'm going to tell you this. Speaking of this critical race theory stuff, I it, it, teaching kids this type of uh, of, of nonsense uh, reminds me of, of something you know I experienced growing up. And most people who know me know 
that I grew up in the nation of Islam, which at the time, you know, it, it, it had a separatist doctrine. You heard a lot of things that spoke out against white people and so forth and so on. So, you know, I'm hearing certain messages. I'm hearing this as, as a child. And uh, you internalize a lot of anger and you direct that anger at people who have done nothing to you because of things that you're hearing. So th- I haven't told this story publicly. Uh, so growing up in, on the east side, uh, I was with my, my mom one day at a, a laundromat. And so, you know, I was an eight year old uh, kid or so. And I think seven, I think I may have been seven. And my, and my mom kind of made me mad about something, as, you know, <laughs> as most seven year olds will get mad at their parents about something. So I stormed out of the laundromat and I had some like soda in my in my cup and I saw this white kid walking by he was about my age didn't do anything to me never said anything but I was just angry at my mom and I saw him and I poured the soda in his face and my mom saw it and she stormed out of the of the laundromat I think she almost ripped my arm off my shoulder <laughs> but it she Asked, you know, the kid, what did he do? She said, did he pour this on you? And, you know, and she made me apologize to him. And and I may have uh, lost consciousness at that point. because I don't remember what happened to me, but uh, I was I was angry at this kid for no reason. And then it took me years to figure it out. Like, why? Because you're hearing all these things about white people as a child and you internalize these things. Adults internalize things, especially kids. And so teaching this type of thing to kids to be angry about someone, to wag their finger at someone uh, is so dangerous and so irresponsible because they have no idea how things are going to be taken. People are always looking for someone to blame for something. It, it is it is one of the rare, one of the most precious commodities on earth is blame, where people are looking for someone to blame for their problems. And now you're teaching this. You're giving this to kids to blame someone. And I'll tell you what really um, makes me makes me angry about this. Most of the people who are teaching history are unqualified to do so. They're unqualified because their number one uh, their their premise is wrong. They're taking history and teaching it without context and perspective. So someone who has taught history with my good friend Dan Messina um, and our uh, nonprofit American Trinity Project, we've been in schools talking to kids about history. And number one thing we ask them is if you were living in 1500, 1600, 1700, 1800, what type of person would you have been? And the short answer is you would have been a product of your time. You could have been a, a, a cattle thief. You could have been a, a, a bandit of some kind. You could have been a slave trader. You could have been a pirate. You would have been a product of your time. Because this is what people were products of their time. The reason why you are a better person now is because of all those things that have happened in the past. Because over the last few centuries, you've learned through societal's progression, society's progression, how to how to conduct yourself. It's the reason why you're not walking around on all fours and you're not eating with your hands. Because other people before you did those things and progressed from those stages of, of behavior. This is why we don't grab women by the hair anymore because people over a certain time used to do that. Well, certain people may do this now, but you go to jail for it. There's certain things that you have to understand uh, is a matter 
of, of context and perspective. So it, it's it's very it's it's a little arrogant, judgmental to look back on people and wondering why didn't they know better when there are things right now going on and we don't know better. The same kind of mobs that we're now talking about who ran through Black Wall Street in 1921, we have the same kind of mobs now who are running through our cities, burning, looting, and tearing things down. So what's 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 the difference? Both groups felt that they were doing something right. Both of these groups felt like they were doing some kind of greater good. So there is no difference. So for people to look back at a mob in 1921, 1821, 1961, and to feel superior, uh, I think is foolish. Because you have to understand that you're dealing with demons the same way other generations have dealt with their demons. So you teach perspective, you teach history as a matter of learning how to improve upon it. Not to wave your finger at someone as if you did something bad. Uh, Roots, most people don't know, was one of the biggest hoaxes ever perpetrated on American pop culture. Look it up. Roots, Alex Haley, plagiarism, hoax. It was a very well, uh, shall I say, lucrative hoax. But it was perpetrated on, on, on the American public, and it made a lot of black people angry at, generally speaking, white people. Not knowing that slavery wasn't, wasn't just, it wasn't white people. It was Dutch, French, Spanish, uh, British, Portuguese. It wasn't Polish. It wasn't Hungarian. It wasn't Ukrainians. <laughs> it wasn't Germans. It wasn't just white people. So we are walking around looking at white people as you did this. Not even understanding that just like every other business, global business, a commodity involves a supply chain. It involves suppliers. It involves middlemen. It involves wholesalers. It involves retailers. And slaves were no exception to that rule. The wholesalers were the the African kings and the tribes. The middlemen were some Africans as well. Europeans, Dutch, British, Portuguese, Spanish, French. Everyone was involved, just like the drug trade now involves everyone. It involves everyone. Everyone has their hand in in this illicit trade, whatever it is. It's never one group. It doesn't exist without suppliers. And so teaching history in that context, you have to look back and realize this is the world that we came from. But pointing your finger at someone who, who just so happens to have something in common with these people, meaning a very distant uh, bloodline as being responsible is, is absolutely foolish. And all of the bad things that went on in the in times past, we're all beneficiaries of it. We all are. We're in this nice big studio in this f- formerly uninhabited area beautiful trees parks and everything else that other people at one time lived on there's no country you could point to where someone else didn't live there before that's just the fact of life and if you feel that guilty about it sell your house and return it to uh whoever tried to whoever owned it a thousand years ago it's it's, it's foolish to try to rectify the past with with current grievances you understand what happened you understand why it happened and you try to improve upon it and you and you make sure you don't repeat those mistakes. It is not meant for you to make someone feel guilty because they happen to be British or they happen to be French or they happen to be African or they happen to be German or or whatever. Uh, this is these people are not qualified to teach history. They're they're angry. 
Uh, in many cases, some of the, some cases, they were guilt written people and they hate this country. They hate the fact that this country uh, had the past that it has, which was not unique. I've written articles on America's founding was not unique uh, into well, history. It wasn't unique, but its present is unique because a lot of countries started out with a similar uh, history, but they didn't evolve to anything much better. The fact that I'm sitting here. The fact that we have 10,000 elected officials who are black in this country, 10,000, when in 1970 we had about less than 1,500. Most of them are worthless, but anyway, that's another argument. Um, 10,000 black elected officials in this country right now, mayors, uh, state reps, local legislators, school boards. We're in the system now. So when you want to talk about systemic racism, well, who are you talking about? Are you excluding those 10,000? They're judges, they're lawyers, they're prosecutors, they're legislators, Congress, senators, all across the board. So we are part of this system. So if you want to take responsibility for uh, systemic racism, then you're welcome to it. But you can't exclude yourself from it when you're part of the system. We are part of the system. This isn't 1940 anymore. 10,000 black elected officials. What responsibility do they bear for some of the issues uh, that their constituents are experiencing? I've written about it uh, at com. if you want to read about it. Um, I think that right now what you do is you teach kids how to be respectful, how to understand the history, all its complexities, the good, the bad, the ugly, and you teach them how not to repeat some of the mistakes of the past. It's really that simple. But you don't make people feel guilty because of what they look like. You don't defame the country because the world is a very flawed place. Not just the, the world is flawed. That's just a fact. And I think these people, these, these educators, I, I, I don't know, and I'm using that term very loosely, uh, are some of the most dangerous people we have in society right now. I've always said that most stupid ideas come from California, but they also come from universities. Um, I I, I attended college very briefly. I took a class called Black Politics, which um, you'd be amazed at what <laughs> this was in the 80s. Some of the things I, I, I learned in that class. But the seeds of, of, of what you see now have been planted in these college classes. So I don't know where we're going, but the more people we send to these poison factories, the worse off we'll be. We're better off sending kids to school to learn how to be plumbers and electricians than than uh, than academics. I'm sorry, academics are uh, not my favorite group. Right, right below New York cab drivers. Anyway, uh, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna take a break. I am Khalid Namar. I am in for my brother Bob France. We got a lot more, including with Aaron Corpora of the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. So uh, stick around. Back to the Bob France Authority. I am Khalid Demar and for Bob France. So, as I mentioned, I have uh, a special guest in studio. Uh, 
He is a very impressive young man who is the Northeast uh, director of the Northeast Ohio Chapter of FAIR. FAIR stands for Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. Uh, his name is Aaron Corpora in the studio. Aaron, welcome to the Bob France Authority. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Khalid. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. It's been a long time coming. No kidding. Coming. Uh, but it's, it's great, the timing for us to have this platform and uh, for you to be involved with this organization and to be able to talk to this audience about it. This is a huge audience, and uh, a lot of people are, are already at this issue from, from our perspective, meaning fighting against all sorts of intolerance, not using intolerance to fight intolerance. But <laughs> So tell us about FAIR. What is FAIR about? Absolutely. So, so thank you for the personal uh, anecdote and story you shared in the monologue. It was very moving, and it is a perfect transition uh, into talking about this new organization, FAIR, the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. Started earlier this year. Uh, it's a nonpartisan organization. We're dedicated to advancing civil rights and liberties for all Americans and promoting that common culture uh, based on fairness, understanding, and humanity. So I first became involved um, if you check out the website, fairforall.org, uh, it's got a very impressive board of advisors, a team of journalists and academics, people that I've been following. And I know you said academics are not your favorite well, right now. but l- l- I'll say this. Um, I have to qualify that. I- I'm-, I'm talking about the the left-wing academics primarily. Uh, there are some academics I read and I admire. Uh, those are the people who I don't consider to be that dangerous but the people who are pushing this narratives that we've been t- we're going to be talking about today, those are the people. Very good. understood, yeah. understandable. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was through following some of these people, and admittedly, uh, as as I said, this is a nonpartisan organization. So we've got people from all across the ideological spectrum, and uh, we're we're coming together really to promote that vision by Martin Luther King. Uh, something he said in his "I Have a Dream" speech that resonated with me uh, from the time I was learning about the Civil Rights Movement and learning portions of that I Have a Dream speech uh, in the fifth grade, the idea of judging people not by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. And as we've seen um, with some of the new schools of thought and some of the new waves of anti-racism ideology and things like that, uh, oftentimes the emphasis is told that indeed we should um, take people's immutable characteristics into account before we before we start forming judgments of them and at fair we really believe that that uh, kind of leads to the destruction and and impedes the progress of, of finding this common humanity that we all share so how are you how are you getting your message out what are your primary ways of, of getting fair's message out? yeah so like i said fair has just started a couple months ago and already they we've got over twenty thousand volunteers who have signed up all over the country there are new chapters starting from coast to coast um, in New York and California. They're a little bit further along, a little bit more established. Uh, but if you check out the website, Fair for All, that's F-A-I-R-F-O-R-A-L-L.org, fairforall.org, you can see a map with uh, new chapters starting with established chapters that have been going for a while right here in Columbus, um, down in central Ohio. We've got a chapter that's a little bit more established than up here in northeast Ohio, led by two fantastic women, uh, Amy Gonzalez and Andrea Gross. So really the effort has been organizing right now early on, um, getting as many of these local chapters established as we can, and then just building those networks and uh, those organizations of like-minded people who are here to uh, respond to some of the pervasive ideology that's that's creeping into schools and workplaces all over. Yeah. So when did you become interested in uh, 
I guess, pushing back against this? you got about a minute. Sure. Um, I would say for me it really started with uh, a concern about mental health, and this is something you talked about in your monologue too, uh, when, you, when you instill this aggressive and, and hostile uh, ideology onto people, I really am concerned about the, the effect it will have on the mental health of young people. If we're looking at each other as enemies instead of uh, friends and common humans, um, I really worry about where that will take our culture in the coming years. Absolutely. We'll talk more about that after the break. I'm here with Aaron Corpora, director of the Northeast Star Chapter Affair uh, Foundations Against Intolerance and Racism. We'll be back. we got a lot more to talk about here on the Bar France Authority. I'm Khalid Namar. Stick around. Back to the Bob Rest Authority. I am Khalid Namar in studio with Aaron Corpora. Hello, hello. Director of the uh, Northeast Ohio Chapter of FAIR, Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. So we're talking about FAIR's mission, uh, how you get your message out, and uh, how you got involved in really wanting to push back against this, this, uh, this nonsense, uh, this poison that they're pushing in on the kids. So some of the examples, and, and, and I know that maybe audience has heard some, egregious examples of what this type of thinking uh, or shall I say some examples of, of what they're teaching kids and pushing in some of these classrooms. Give us a couple examples. Sure. So I'll start locally uh, right here in central Ohio. I mentioned in the last segment uh, Amy Gonzalez and Andrea Gross, two moms at uh, Columbus Academy, uh, top high school down in Columbus area. Uh, in January, the school hosted a civil disobedience walkout Um Students there reported being called racist by their peers uh, for things like not getting to the gym fast enough to attend the sem- to attend the assembly. Uh, students were texting their parents about some of the civil unrest they said that they were experiencing at the school, and a freshman English teacher came out and told his students uh, that if any of them supported former President Trump, uh, they shouldn't tell him because he wasn't sure that he'd be able to work with any student. This is a, this is an English teacher uh, of high school children saying that he wouldn't be able to work with them if they didn't share the, the same ideological bend. Uh, so these women down in Columbus, they started a coalition um, of fellow concerned parents and alumni, uh, and the response, uh, let's say, was not, it, it was not welcomed, uh, their critiques. And the school ended up calling the police. They brought in bomb-sniffing dogs and ended up causing a whole stink um, wow. just, just for these two moms. And some of the examples of, of, of the critical race theory type of teaching that they divided kids in one classroom. I think this may have been in the Northwest up into groups based on privilege. Uh, sure. And, and you're yeah, seeing that yeah. in, in kids as young as uh, second grade, yeah. third grade. And, yeah. you know, you talked earlier about when you were eight, seven or eight years old and mm-hmm. uh, instilling that kind of ideology in someone that young who, who can't really fully grasp things like what being an oppressor means or being oppressed means and, and telling kids that you know their classmates sitting right next to them is mm-hmm. is oppressing them, mm-hmm. bad news for for the mental health of, yeah. of the young. And 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 it's so it's sickening to 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 talk about this word. What I don't like about many academics, uh, they make up words, okay, or they misuse words. 
So privileges are earned in many, you know, they're earned. Um, I'll give you an example. If you follow college basketball, there was a, um, the Michigan Fab Five back in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, Jalen Rose, Chris Weber, uh, <clears throat> um, and, you know, uh, Juwan forget, Howard. Juwan Howard, I'm sorry. <laughs> Juwan Howard. Well, they sort of looked down their noses at the kids from Duke as being, you know, the, the, the upper class, you know, rich kids, blah, blah, blah. We're from the inner city. Incidentally, Chris Weber was recruited by Coach K because he came from a pretty decent background and they thought he was the type of kid they wanted, but he went, he elected to go to Michigan where he was from. Um, and they talked about Grant Hill and who's, Father was a former Cleveland Brown who I remember growing up and who went to Yale in the late sixties. And Yale, as most Ivy League, all Ivy League schools do not give athletic scholarships. So a black man coming out of Yale in the late sixties had to be outstanding. In addition to be a great football player, he was, and he went on to do very well in business. Well, his, and his mom was roommates with Hillary Clinton at Sarah Lawrence College. Okay. So he came from a pretty decent background, but guess what? Uh, Grant Hill told, uh, uh, in an article he wrote, he mentioned to Jalen, well, look, my parents set up a great life for me, just as you set up a great life for your kids, which are 13 years in the NBA and $100 million you've earned. You set, you set up a great life for your kids. So I shouldn't, I'm not going to feel guilty about that, nor should you feel guilty about the life you're giving your kids. They, they, so they use words like wealth, quote, distribution, as if you're handing out cards at a poker table. Wealth quote distribution. Mm-hmm. Uh, wealth isn't distributed. It's read, it can be redistributed, meaning you can take it from someone and give it to someone else. But there are people who've earned by their blood, sweat, their wealth. And so they act as though something has been given to them and therefore it's up to someone else to quote redistribute it. Yep. And I think that's why, uh, you see a lot of hostility towards things like, uh, even the term meritocracy. Yep. Uh, you know, people, the idea that, uh, you know, you work for what you get and the most qualified should have the job are now seen as things uh, that are insensitive in a sense, which I think does a huge disservice in, in destroying and, uh, you know, fundamentally um, fundamentally dissuading people uh, from putting in that effort, for putting in that work when you think that all of the systems are stacked against you and all of uh, everything is, is rigged against your favor. Um, it, it becomes easy to take the logical leap that, well, maybe we should just do away with meritocracy as a whole. But uh, I think as we've seen throughout the course of history, um, doing that is no is no service to anyone who, who wishes to better themselves. Well, the irony is the politicians who are the most vocal about this are the ones whose children are getting into these schools on legacy, who are getting jobs in politics and in media because of their name. They're, they're, they're having doors swung open for them because of their name in, in business and politics. I won't throw out any names, Hunter Biden, um, or, you know, some others in the media, uh, the Cuomos. H- how are these people getting into Yale and Harvard? They're getting their own legacy. But they're the people who are talking about equality, but they're benefiting from the very systems that keep their families employed, not only employed, but keep them wealthy. Yep, and uh, uh, as you say, these are the same people who are uh, advocating for things like eliminating the SAT or standardized te- other kinds of standardized testing in an effort to to further this equity movement. Um, when in reality, I think destroying the, the destroying these subjective standards, um, it doesn't level the playing field at all. Yeah, there's an article I, I recommended to you, and I don't know if you get a chance to read it yet. And one of my favorite articles ever written by the Wall Street Journal, which I've read pretty much daily for 20 years, uh, why your coach votes Republican. Uh, t- 
talks about the football coaches and, and why a lot of them are Republican and conservatives because these coaches understand what meritocracy is. They want the best people on the field. They don't care where you come from. They don't care what, you know, how poor your school was or how big your school was. They don't care what you look like. Can you play? Mm-hmm. Can you execute? Can you help us win? And that's the people they want on the field, period. And if you don't uh, perform well, you're not going to play. You earn your playing time. Yep, and the field of life, I think, is very similar in, that, in yes, that aspect. Absolutely. So with, with FAIR, um, what are some of the goals that FAIR, uh, you know, say, for instance, I'll take you to Northeast Ohio. Are you trying to get this uh, message out to school kids, and how are you planning on doing that? Yeah, so uh, FAIR's goals are, are quite ambitious, uh, which is exciting. So right now, like I said, we're still very on, early on and still in this grassroots stage, so I think one of the most encouraging things, when I found this organization, it was, it was like a light bulb went off. It was like, okay, here are people who, who are seeing the same things I'm seeing, who are saying the same things that I'm trying to say, but maybe don't always uh, know how to say, and who are coming together um, with, with a real desire to push forward and to push, to push this pro-human message um, into the mainstream. A lot of the goals... Uh, are very regional right now, um, and that's kind of what's cool about it is that in Northeast Ohio here, we really have the ability to shape our chapter, our vision towards the needs of our community. You know, the the Northeast Ohio chapter affair is not going to look like the southwestern Texas chapter affair. The needs are different. The people that run uh, school systems and are um, elected are different. Uh, so I think it's very encouraging and it's very cool for for people to have a place where a lot of us are worried about this pervasive ideology. And to have a centralized place where we have resources, where we have uh, people who are dedicated to this cause, uh, I, think it's, I think it's a tremendous opportunity for people who are worried about, okay, I, I see this, this happening in my child. I, I hear them parroting some of, um, some of these views that I think is detrimental uh, for them and for society at large. And now for the first time, uh, we have people who are committed to that effort uh, all, all in the same place. I think that the biggest problem I have with the left in general is the lack of respect that they have for 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 black people and 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 quote unquote minorities. Did you, you hear some of the comments that Joe Biden made during the campaign about uh, black people don't know how to you know we can't get on the internet um, we <laughs> we don't have diversity of thought uh, if we haven't decided whether we're going to vote for him or not we're not black mm-hmm. um, we don't have ID. Um, they don't think we can make it without their their benevolence. They think that we are somehow a little bit less capable, a little less intelligent. We don't really are, are not we're not as resourceful uh, as as they are without our help. Now that is, you know, not only condescending and in, in, in my opinion, racist, bigoted. Uh, it's it's patronizing because in order for them to do to do well we have to be doing not so well uh they're the arsonist who want us to call them to put out the fire that's that's an interesting way to put it and uh you you express that very well and there's a couple other people involved with fair who who share similar sentiments john um mccorder thomas chatterton yes. williams yes. two linguists uh academics uh who, who say pretty much the exact same thing you've said there uh that it's it, it can feel infantilizing and um Again, it's just, it's not good. It's not good for the well-being. This is their argument, uh, not mine. You know, not good for the well-being of people of color to to tell them that they need this crutch and that they're not strong enough to be able to do this 
to, to make these changes and, and stand up for themselves. Yeah. If someone gives you something easy, that just means they don't have confidence in you. Hmm. Or if they think that you somehow need the bar lowered, uh, they, they don't respect you. Um, I grew up boxing, and my coach put me in with some really rough dudes growing up, you know, when I was just starting out. And I, I just did think he didn't like me. But I realized that he, he did because he believed in my ability. Uh, he wanted me to grow. And I did grow. And, um, you know, I, I became a champion. And But you can't become a champion without getting your, your tail kicked. And that's true in life as well. I think that's absolutely right. There's a great book that I would recommend um, called Anti-Fragile by a guy named Nicholas Nassim Taleb. Uh, and basically that's the concept that it explores, that human beings – uh, we're not fragile. We're anti-fragile. And what that means is that when we're not pushed back, when we're not given challenges uh, and things to sharpen us, we become weaker. And the only way to grow and to become stronger is to have that pushback so that you can develop that resilience. I think that's true uh, in, in every aspect. What was the name of this book again? Uh, anti-fragile is anti-fragile. the name of it. Yep. Not, not to be confused with white fragility. Uh. No. <laughs> quite different message between the two. I have read both. Uh, I've taken things from both. Uh, but yes, this is a little bit more uh, along the lines of what we're talking about, anti-fragile. Yeah, yeah. Nicholas Nassim Taleb is the author. Yeah, and, and, and to show you what, how little these people know about life uh, who are pushing this nonsense the best way to to create quote unquote okay equity or opportunity for people is for them to build relationships. So I, I talk to kids a lot and I tell them, I ask them a question. I say, "What does opportunity look like?" You don't know because it doesn't look like anything because it can come in any form. In other words, you could be sitting in a in a in a waiting room with somebody that you won't even talk to. And that person, that conversation could could change your life depending on what, what situation you're in. You just don't know. I think and, that's and right. That, unless you talk to people. I think that's right. I think opportunity lurks where responsibility has been abdicated in a sense, and you're not going to find those areas uh, unless you're looking for them. Yeah, and, 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 and just talking to people. I mean, just something really basic. Uh, forming relationships will help so many people improve their lives in addition to improving their character. You, you, they're not teaching that. I agree, and that is really the foundational, fundamental tenet here of FAIR. Um, you know, we hear a lot about identity politics, and I think there are kind of two strains of that of that thought, and this a lot of this comes from uh, another book I would recommend, The Coddling of the American Mind, yes, with which yes, you may be familiar. Yes. Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff, they talk a lot about um, common humanity identity politics versus common enemy humanity politics, and Dr. King did the same thing. Uh, in a lot of his appeals during the civil rights movement, you hear um, these familial metaphors, him talking about brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. you know, let's all come together. And I think in that way, it really reinforces um, the idea that not only are we all one human species, but living out those ideals, living out those creeds um, will not lead to the, you know, the degradation of the country. It will lead to the unity of the country, and it took a yeah. long time for uh, MLK's message to kind of catch on in that way, but here we are. 50, 60 years after his death, and those are some of the eternal fundamental tenets that I think are still holding yeah. this country together. I'll, 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 I'll correct you on something. It's been uh, <laughs> it's been about 53 years. <laughs> I'm not I, trying to date I, any I, I listeners know, here. <laughs> reason I'm teasing about that because he was uh, assassinated April 4th, 1968, which was a year to the day that I was born and a year later, 69. So <laughs> No kidding. Again. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, I kind of uh, I'm teasing you about that. Yeah, I was born April fourth, nineteen sixty nine, and he was killed a year to the day before that in sixty eight. So, okay. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I, I think you're right, and I think that what people need to understand throughout history, there's a saying in world affairs: uh, no common, no permanent friends, no permanent enemies, only permanent interests. Hmm. And throughout history, various groups have gotten together, disparate groups based on their permanent interest, meaning the, the Nation of Islam used to meet with the Klan. Why? Because they had something in common. They both wanted to separate from each other. So they would sit down and figure out how to work on that. Uh, Native Americans worked work with the Confederacy because they felt that they were shafted by the federal government, so they worked with the Confederacy, and they also owned slaves. History is very, very, very complex. And people today can get together, as you and I are, based on our common interest. Mm-hmm. And this is what you need to encourage people to do. Form relationships with your common interests. Uh, and that is the best way to produce the results that you're trying to produce, not by making people feel guilty about what they look like or trying to um, rewrite the past or rectify the past or enforce, uh, get rid of racism by practicing racism. It's just absolute foolishness. Um, we got about 30 seconds left, so we're going to come back and uh, you know finish out the segment. I'm here with Aaron Corpora. Northeast Ohio Chapter Director of FAIR Foundations Against Intolerance and Racism I'm Khalid Namar Andrew's on the wheels of steel We'll be back for the last segment And if you want to give us a call 901-0945 uh, See you on the other side Five minutes to the top of the hour. I'm Khalid Namar and Babar France. Hanging out with my man in studio, Aaron Corpora, Northeast Ohio uh, Director of the Chapter for FAIR, Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. We've been hanging out, having a good time with my man Andrew on the wheels of steel, uh, keeping it lively here in the studio. Uh, some of some of these these opinion pieces by some of these academics, these dim-witted academics, uh, who are, who are obsessed with race? They're like it's it's like an obsession, where they're talking about uh, whiteness. Well, one in one Education Week article, uh, there's an article entitled "Teacher Education Needs to Acknowledge Whiteness." Uh, an educational post: White teachers are whiteness is getting in our way. When my school started to dismantle white supremacy culture, that comes from next generation learning. Um, there's all this, these articles about whiteness education. These people are, you, you have to be taught to be this stupid. This doesn't come without some type of formal instruction on how to be stupid. If you teach math, then you teach math. If you can teach English, you teach English. Reading, because I've been a reading tutor, I didn't think that I needed to have whiteness or blackness or anything to teach people how to read. Uh, <laughs> um, if you're teaching history or music, whatever you want to teach, you teach what needs to be taught. I don't understand this obsession with, with your skin color. Real quick, there was a principal in some school who took a lot of the underperforming students who happened to be black to see this black astronaut for, ins- for inspiration. Okay. But he didn't take the white kids. And I'm sitting there going, okay, 
if this guy was an astronaut, he obviously was very well accomplished. You know, you know be an astronaut, you know, you got to be pretty smart. This man didn't have anything to offer to the white kids. He can only offer something to black kids. He can only offer inspiration to black kids because they, quote, look like him. They, the white kids can't learn nothing from, from this guy. I mean, this is the silliness of these people. When, when we watch sports, there's a lot of kids out there who are watching LeBron James and want to play like LeBron James. They want to play like Steph Curry. They want to play like Luka Doncic. They don't think, well, I need to watch a black player. You know, it, it's, it's unbelievable to me how, how these people think that someone has to look like you. Most Asian kids do not have an Asian teacher, but they seem to do pretty well without it. Uh, it, these people, I, I really, really fear for our society if these people are, are allowed to get more power. So let me ask you just a quick question based on that. Do you think, is there is there a benefit in seeing uh, representation, uh, maybe in things like, like Black Panther, huge hit? Um, is that beneficial? Is it beneficial for kids to, to look up and see, well, that person looks like me, so I can aspire to be something? Again, see, I don't have much of a perspective from this. Being Some, a white guy, every, everyone, you know, pretty much everyone I've seen coming up has kind of been of my skin tone, so I, I can't really answer that or, or resonate with what that might feel like to not have representation. So, you know, I think the most important representation comes from people that are close to you. You know? How do you mean? Expand. Meaning on. your family, the, the neighbor, uh, you know, the person who you have the most interaction with. Your teacher, for instance, who you have a bond with. I don't think they have to necessarily look like you. I think that's just a, a superficial quality. But if there's someone who you admire, who you want to be like, uh, who happens to be a coach, a teacher, a parent, uh, a neighbor, for instance, um, those relationships are important. Those are people close to you. You have a connection with these people. I had a very, I had some very great teachers. One of them was Jewish. Another one was black. Another one was white. Uh, you know, I had a coach who happened to be black. I had parents. You know, I think the people who are around you, who care about you, who can direct you and guide you are the most important. They look like you great. They don't whatever. Uh, I think the lessons you learn from these people are the most important. Some people think it's important to look up and see somebody who quote looks like them, which, you know, I, I personally don't personally don't place a lot of value on it because I've, I've had so many people in my life uh, who didn't look like me and who loved me just the same and who, who to this day, will do whatever they can for me. I appreciate that thoughtful response. I hadn't really hadn't really considered it from that angle, um, but, I mean, anytime you're talking about building strong familial and community values and, and finding inspiration from people that uh, you most immediately interact with, you're never going to hear a disagreement from yeah, me on that part. It's based on values. It, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the values and it's the people who actually care about you. Mm -hmm. There are people who are around lots of other kids who care nothing about them, and they're taken in by a total stranger or someone who doesn't look like them, who doesn't come from their background, and they're given more love and guidance and, and, and respect and care than the people who, who have given birth to them, who have brought them into the world. And we, sure. know, we know that. Sure. So anyway, um, that's, uh, that's my take on it. Um, so anyway, it's been fun. But like I said, I, I did my Mike, Mike DeWine impression. You're on lockdown. You're not leaving the studio. I'm here. Um, and uh, we'll be having some fun talking about some other issues in the next hour. So hope you don't have anything to do today. But uh, <laughs> I'm here for the long haul. Appreciate you having me, Khalid. It's been it's, great it's so been far. It's been a lot of fun. If you want to give us a call next hour, we got Steve Krause coming up next hour. Uh, if you want to give us a call, uh, we're at 901-0945 here in the Bob France Authority. And uh, 
Stick around.